0: The Ensemble Advice South Africa podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. All discussion is limited to publicly available information and should not be interpreted as legal, professional or financial advice. Ensemble Advice is not a licensed financial services provider and does not provide financial services. Before making investment decisions, you should obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor.
1: Hi, I'm Louis van der Merwe, Certified Financial Planner. Join me every week where I get to have discussions with global leaders in the financial planning space to help you serve your clients better and run a more efficient financial planning practice. This is Financial Planner's
0: South Africa podcast. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion for people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. ComSpace is a revenue management solution developed specifically for independent financial advisors. It is a web based application that tracks, allocates, and manages advisor revenue. The system seamlessly reads commission statements from financial institutions and can address any permutation of commission splits. ComSpace provides mind blowing out the box revenue business intelligence and analytics, along with super flexible reporting to effectively manage and grow your business.
1: Welcome to a very special episode of. Ensemble Advice South Africa. Firstly, you'll note that we've had a bit of a name change and a a brand new image, thanks to the team down under. And I hope you enjoy this new look. And I think with today's episode, we have something special. Someone that has taken a leap of faith into something a little bit unknown. And I wanna keep it mysterious. We're gonna start with with a little bit of a hint. Yeah, enjoy. And that was the sweet sound of an artist formerly known as Joe Martin. Mr. Joe Vannekeck, thank you for joining me today. It's such an honor to have you here. Thanks, Louis. It's great to be here. And thanks for uh, letting me play a little bit. It's been a while. <laughs> Not rusty at all. You have um, taken the plunge and, and made a big life-changing career move. And today we'll... We'll unpack that a little bit, but for the audience, I think we need to start with where Joe comes from, the how your name was shortened and you know, like give us give us that backstory and then we'll we'll explore a little bit more. Sure. Um,
2: well, so I'm actually both my parents are Afrikaans, but they decided um, to place me in an English school from day one. So back when I started school, it was still called Sabae. Uh, now it's grade one, I think. <laughs> and uh, yeah, i couldn't I couldn't speak a word of English on my first first day at school, it took a while, but fortunately, kids adapt quite quickly, And I was schooled in English. So when I decided that I wanted to become a professional musician, <clears throat> I didn't think the name Johannes for Nickca would' necessarily work very well with blues. So I changed it to my stage name joe martin which was just a totally random name that came out of the ether somewhere <laughs> so that's it
1: how wonderful is that that you said hey from a marketing and a branding perspective <laughs> um maybe we need to find something that resonates yeah. a bit more yeah with people yeah. yeah and i just thought it's my name
2: that i spell now it's just jo uh, which has fun sometimes with the providers um but uh, that was sort of a tip of the hat to my full name,
1: Johannes. So it's J O, not J O E, for what it's worth. <laughs> so you got into the music industry with a focus on primarily blues. Mm-hmm. How was those early years starting out as a musician? You know, we have this picture of struggling musicians. Um, I'm not sure what the scene in South Africa was like. What year was this, and how was it like? In those first couple of years.
2: Yeah, so we're talking about, I finished my two years national service at the end of 88. So I kicked off basic the next year. So I could say my first year in the industry was 1989. I started playing gigs in small towns in the Eastern Cape, like um, Stutterheim, King Williamstown, and East London itself. <clears throat> and from there, my career just progressed Um <laughs> along different lines, uh, there were there were growth spurts, as there is with with you know with any career. Um, I I always made a point of trying to to spend time and jam specifically with people that were um, at the time better than I was, so that I could learn. And but the industry itself back then was I'd say yeah you know, it was very much in its infancy. It was still more focused around playing covers if you wanted to, you know, um, make a living out of it. Um, but then I started moving more towards doing original stuff as well. Yeah, mm. so that's 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 kind of how it all started.
1: <laughs> I like what you said there of working and jamming with people that you know might, maybe just a little bit higher up. Yeah, what about that attracted you to that specific training situation? Or
2: um, I wanted to learn. Um, even when I was the, the last six months uh, of my national service there was a guy uh, Alistair I can't remember his surname but he used to play with the uh, Blues Brewer, uh cool cool blues band and literally every morning he'd show me a riff or a lick or a chord progression and he'd say okay now I practice that and I'd sit the literally I'd sit the whole day and practice that one thing and the next morning he'd say show me and I'd play and say yeah Cool, and then show me the next thing. So, it's about learning through, I suppose, in my case, being humble enough to accept that if you really want to progress, that you have to, you have to learn and take knowledge in from from people that have walked the road before you have. So, yeah, that's <laughs>
1: Joe. We've all heard this concept around: you need to train for 10,000 hours to become really masterful at most skills, and I think music is definitely one of those what was that tipping point for you when it started feeling a bit more natural or were you just a born musician interesting
2: question i'd say the tipping point came in 95 when i was asked to join a band um, called the flying circus we had limited commercial success i think our one song made it to like number 14 or something and yeah that's so, but it was, it, was, it was a very, very steep learning curve for me. Uh, I, had, I had the privilege of working under um, Richard Mitchell, who's the producer of bands like Mango Groove. And, you know, he had a lot of experience. And, you know, again, just listening to someone like that when he tells you, try it like this, or you're playing a bit fast, or, you know. So that was, that was an incredibly steep learning curve. Uh, the six months that we recorded that album... So that was a tipping point. I think when I came when when I got to the other side of that album, I felt I felt comfortable on stage to the point where whether I was playing with a band or on my own or anything in between that I could handle myself
1: um, yeah so. <laughs> you get the sense of that you kind of mastered this and yeah uh, no 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 uh, it's um it's it's a journey it's like it's like
2: it's like anything I mean, Including, you know, what, a, what I'm what I'm trying to do now <laughs> as a financial sure. planner, it's a it's a process, and and I mean, you talk about the ten thousand hour principle. I, I only learnt about that about five or six years ago, so I went and did a calculation and a very a very rough estimate, excluding studio time. Sorry, it sounds like I'm boasting. I'm not. It's just it's just purely. It was interesting to me. Um, excluding studio time and practice time, just stage time in my thirty-year career as a music- musician, I was probably uh, just over sixteen thousand hours on stage. So yeah, you, yeah, you get to a point where where it just feels natural to you and you're comfortable, whether it's in front of one person or a couple of thousand people.
1: <laughs> sixteen thousand hours—that's a—that's a big number. I'm in the middle of reading Annie Duke's book called quit and in one of the chapters we talk about this sunk cost fallacy or she talks about the sunk cost fallacy around looking back at you know the amount of time that you've invested sixteen thousand hours you yeah. and that we should actually look at the future expected value sure instead of saying hey i've done all of this where i am now it's rather looking forward and saying what's this career going to bring me going forward sure. now you made the jump from <laughs> musician into the financial services world, a very brave move. Yeah. And you left behind those 16,000 hours. And so I'd like to know, what of that stuck with you? Like, what what skills could you use to translate into financial services for the last couple of years that maybe have made it a little bit easier than someone just coming into the industry, financial services industry? Sure, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay, that's, Yeah so uh, the first thing that
2: springs to mind would be um personable skills in that you get to a point with playing gigs or concerts whatever that you can read a room quite well um so you know you can see hey maybe that guy likes blues or you know that girl was probably wanting to hear some Led Zeppelin or something like that. So, so it's a thing. I think it's about having skills to anticipate um, that you then, or oh, yeah, you you learn to fine tune those skills just through a through a almost like a sixth sense. Um, so that I think that helped a lot, um, and I think also just not being that young anymore. Um, I'm I'm 53 now. Um, just being more comfortable with who you are as a person and the second thing is just perseverance um so my <laughs> my mom came and visited me when i was living in east london and in the first year that i started out as a musician and she was horrified when she walked into the little room that i was renting because there was literally just a sleeping bag on a foam mattress and my my gear my music gear you know and she's like where's the rest and I said this is it mom and like any parent she was hoping that I'd first go and qualify myself just as a backup kind of thing and I said to mom this is what I want to do and I did it for 30 years and it provided well enough for myself and my wife to get to a point where we are today so it's it's perseverance it's just sticking it out and believing that that's with hard work and help from others, learning from others that you can get there.
1: So that grit and mm. like working through it. I want to know that girl that you spotted that you think uh, likes Led Zeppelin and want to hear some of those tunes. Mm. Like, how do you cultivate that that gut feeling? Like What do you look for? Is it just a sense of, oh, I'm taking a guess or uh, was it have kind of a cumulative experience that ah oh, people like this yeah. tend to expect some mm-hmm. of the songs? It's
2: I wouldn't say it's an educated guess. I'd say it's more an instinctive thing that's developed through many years of doing the same thing um I'm sure that well, I'm not sure, but I assume that when you know you see a client that although they may that you may think that they want to talk about x y and z that that there's a feeling of maybe there's something else it's it's just it's a it's it's a gut feel um but there are a couple of cues as well, like. You can see by the way, often you can see by the way people dress, how they present themselves, um, how they talk. You know, you sort of just, I don't know, it's just, that's a feel thing. Music music talks to you. You just have to have the ears to listen to her. You know? I
1: love that. I love that. <laughs> music talks to you. You just have to have the ears to listen to her. To her, yeah. No, she's the muse, eh? She's the muse. I mean, Joe, we... In the financial services, we're often trained for cues to sell things. Right. Mm -hmm. People, when you say cues, I'm thinking, oh wow. You know, you need to you need to come in with this angle. But slowly there's a shift. There's a shift away from cues for sales. Sure. And I know this is also something that you are very passionate about, how the financial industry was when you were a musician. So tell us a little bit your experience with advisors or uh, product salesmen or whatever you might want to call us i'm going to assume that i don't know these stories (laughs) yeah
2: so yeah school fees um i suppose i i have a very overdeveloped sense of responsibility and my wife who i met when she was i had just turned 19 and she was about 16 so we met very young um and when she finished school and she went and studied equine studies i wanted to make sure that Mm. to the best of my abilities that it should something happen to me that there's something for her and and at that stage i didn't know anything about the industry so i just knew you get life insurance right so i won't mention names but um i need a green policy or blue policy (laughs) uh, i got sold (laughs) I got sold by a very um a very good salesman, let's let's say that. You saw the cues. And exactly, he really did. Yeah, you know, I mean I had hair down to my bum. So mm-hmm. basically just sold me an endowment policy. What did I know about the thirty percent tax rate? You know, it and I started I started at a young age paying my dues. Um I, I always had an interest in in, in finances and investments and did a lot of reading even the days before Google. Um, <clears throat> once once the internet, once those resources became available, I, I, I did a lot more studying online. But things like compound interest and things like that really, peaked, you know, my interest. Yeah, then my wife wanted to do a Section 14 transfer, and there were massive penalties involved. And leading up to that, I had been doing the calculations myself and realised that something wasn't adding up with the returns we were getting on on certain investments. And that was the impetus for me to say, "Hey, you know, um, I, I think I can do better," which was a bit of a bold statement at the time. <laughs> but but um, I then came across. Well, I came across you.
1: (laughs) So, it's a good time for a full disclosure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So so Joe is a a client that became a friend, that became a colleague. I think that's probably (laughs) the most succinct way of sharing that journey. But I want to pause you for one second that, you know, you did your due diligence. You like you delved into the data with, I think, a very uh, deep sense of understanding and kind of is that normal for musicians to to do something like that and I know we're generalizing No, sure but was that a piece of you that wasn't maybe taken care of in the in the music industry that analytical ability um so to ask the first part of your question Louis, I th-
2: you know no uh, it's 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 not common with musicians unfortunately in my experience anyway musicians and artists in general my dad was an artist uh what his life are notoriously bad with with um finances and and You know, that's often why successful bands and musicians have managers, because those are the guys that take or girls that take care of the business. You know, I was fortunate in that I think to a large part of my success for those 30 years and being able to survive in the industry was my ability to to be able to think ahead um, as far as at least my earnings are concerned, because it's also you can imagine with playing gigs and shows, it's it's cyclic and it's it's seasonal. So, you know, Cape Town in the winter, people hibernate. So you've got to think ahead. I think I was just, I've just been blessed with with slightly a more analytical way of thinking than artists do in general, let's say.
1: So you were unpacking these investments. Now you mentioned your wife's retirement fund and you looked at the cost and you said, hey, here's the returns of the funds and here's Mm. my returns. Exactly. A lot of theory tells us, oh, it's bad behavior, Mm. right? But they don't tell us, go and delve into the cost and go and look at sure. it. T- tell me, what was that response when you first realized there's such a big gap between where the investments could have been mm-hmm. and where you guys ended up? Like, what was what was that emotion? Because it's not often we get a chance to mm-hmm. delve into the mind of a client. Sure. Right, so sure. If, if you're willing to share just what that process Sure. I was angry. Like for you. I, was, I was
2: angry. I was very angry. Uh, my wife and I both come from modest earning middle class families. We probably won't inherit, you know, there's no safety nets and there's no trust funders. So what we don't make provision for, we're not going to have, right? Um, So I was angry um, because I felt that um, also trying to get past the call centers and trying to then eventually get to the actuaries to ask, hey, like, there's a disconnect. Am I missing something? Because you guys are obviously a lot more intelligent and clued up and experienced and qualified than I am, but one and one is not equaling two here. What's going on? And then essentially being given the runaround um, on numerous occasions. And then I realized that, as I said, if I don't step up and do something about this, then chances are we are going to have a problem as we get older. And we're not able to earn, as so many South Africans, you know, pre-retirement or even in retirement are struggling with. So that's why I used the word, the term, you know, uh, just blessed with that ability to analyze and to, and then to have the, to (laughs) to take that leap of faith and contact, um, you know, a financial services provider that. Put me on the right path, which which you did. I mean, you you were and you still are my advisor,
1: in that sense. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's a process. It's not a great feeling when you feel like you're the only one with this information, and <laughs> clearly you must be wrong. Exactly. So this was the days exactly. before TCF, before we could see effective yes. annual costs, before yes. we knew. Do you think the industry has improved in that sense? or Uh, some would call me out and say it's now a profession but (laughs) be that as may do you think we have moved on and we have improved the way we talk about what things cost for clients at at least as a as an aggregate yes absolutely yeah
2: i think i think the industry um is more transparent in general um (laughs) you know there are there are degrees of either side of that statement that are you know positive and negative but certainly, um, from from that time, let's say, 10, 10 15 years ago, not 10 years ago, till now, you know, there's a lot more transparency. I think there's more accountability as well. Um, the legislation has, in my view certainly helped a lot, and I, I am hopeful. whatever my contribution going forward to the industry at large and this is not in context of wealth up this is i'm talking about the financial services industry at large whatever my contribution is that it that it makes a positive difference and impact on people's lives who previously may have experienced or gone through similar experiences that my wife and i did and just restore some of that faith hopefully um back into the industry because I think there was a lot of um, I think I think there was a lot of focus on product rather than clients um, and yeah I, I, I would that that's why I'm passionate about it it's it's to me it's, it's about making a difference um, even 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 in my musician days I enjoyed I enjoyed playing a song for someone that they requested and I could see that they really enjoyed it and they, you know, it's that that
1: feeling of,
2: you know, so, yeah.
1: Kind of lifting someone's mood. Absolutely. Maybe changing the, leaving them off better than Absolutely. what you found them.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So now you've discovered what these costs are. You've <laughs> had a little bit of guidance. Um, you now know. Yeah. Right. At what point do you say, I'd like to venture into the world of financial services? Hmm. So, so my father-in-law
2: is a retired forester and he took a a government pension package, Um, I think it was with the Cats Commission. And um, he was very uncertain as to how he should proceed for retirement planning. And I went and chatted to him the one afternoon and... (laughs) We sat probably talking for about two hours. And this is
1: this is even Hold on, how did you get to that? This is your father in law. Yeah. That you are saying, Can we talk about your money?
2: No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. He approached me. Oh, I know he approached okay. me. And this is before I even started studying. Um this okay. is, this was back in the self help days when so, okay. so You're a guy that knows. Uh, well, you? he was kind of yeah, you, you know what it's like if you start if you start <laughs> if you start expressing interest in something then then you know, more and more people would say, I don't know if you know about this, but do you perhaps, you know, have any opinion on this or that? So, okay. so I just chatted to him and explained to him the little bit that I knew at that stage. Uh, he's my father-in-law. So I just said, you know, it's like um, consolidating your investments because you seem to have investments all over the place. And he had shares and and and, and I explained to him how how balanced fund works and, and et cetera, et cetera. We got home that night, and I sat probably for the best part of 30, 40 minutes recapping, you know, the discussion I had with, with Squinpa with, with my wife. And, you know, her eyes sort of glazed over after 10 minutes, but she loves me, so she listened to everything I had to say. <laughs> so, so anyway, and eventually she just, she nailed it like she usually does. She just said, you've obviously got a lot of interest in this. Why don't you just go and study? And that I think I had met you probably round about that time, maybe a year or two before that. And then it was a process of, hey, actually, that's not a bad idea because I'm not really moving forward in my career as a musician. I've kind of hit the ceiling Um, and it just naturally progressed from there.
1: So this was the inside of Heidi. Thank you, Heidi, for listening to this thing. (laughs) In a loving, natural way of nudging, this is possible. Was that a possibility in your mind, even before she said that?
2: No, no, no. It, I, 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 had been thinking for a while that I'd like to do something else because, because I was getting a bit bored in the music industry. It, it, it was, it was moving from a passion to a, to a job, and. I, this thing that I loved so much since I was a young teenager was suddenly becoming like, you know, sort of just a stone around my neck. So so there was thinking of doing something, but but I didn't think that I had... I wouldn't say I didn't think that I had what it takes. I just thought maybe it's too late in life for me to make a change like that. But the more I investigated and chatted to guys like you... Um, about what to study and and what to look at and what the possibilities are, and that the industry is is expanding the whole time, and that the potential for a particular line of work is is expanding the whole time. I thought, okay, you know maybe maybe this is something I should explore. So it was a slow process. Um, you know, it wasn't overnight.
1: Did it feel like, hey, I already have all these skills that I can bring to the table, or was it more I'm starting from scratch again? Just like I did when I started out, my
2: yeah, pretty research. much yeah, the latter. It, it did feel like I'm starting out from You know, the first uh, the first exam that I wrote. I mean, I literally had a, like a full-blown panic attack that I had to keep under control because I hadn't I hadn't written ex- an exam since matric, which was in 1987, right? So, and there's all these young. Guys and girls sitting around me, and I'm the last person in the exam room, and I'm writing, and my th- thumbs cramping. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was. It was it was very much in my mind, starting from scratch. I, I knew that I was bringing life skills to the table, um, but as far as actual knowledge and um, technical ability within the industry is concerned, I realised that I was starting from zero. Yeah. What well, felt like it.
1: And what was that thought process? You know, was there a time frame to say I'm going to give this a shot for X amount of time, or I'm going to make this work at any cost? Like, talk me through how you got to that point after Heidi said, "Why don't you?" Mm. (laughs) Which is my favorite words. (laughs) (laughs) My wife, (laughs) somebody should, should. (laughs) (laughs) someone (laughs) should on you, Um, saying, "Hey, this is something that you seem to enjoy. Mm. I think we could pursue this." What is that thought process? How long did that seed take to start growing? Mm. Yeah, um, it took a
2: while. Um, I think I think it was a confidence thing as well, and and just a natural process of of chatting to people. Like I said, people within the industry, you know, guys like yourself, and and getting into more um, detailed resources to what's you know what's required. You know what the actual requirements are. I think the point of no return for me was after I'd written that first exam, and I and I passed. <laughs> so I was I thought okay if if I could, you know if I could commit to doing that then I can I can do that for the rest of the modules and I can do whatever it, like the RE five and you know all, all the stuff that came after that. Um, and it it was just it was just saying right you know let's let's do this let's stick it out let's um let's just take do whatever it takes
1: and your career as a musician has taught you that let's stick it out absolutely right i need to work through this to get to a point where yeah i can now make this my living when we think about career changes it's often policemen or it's mm. teachers that naturally historically fell into financial services i think partly because some of them might have had a big network they knew a lot of people right you could get to sure. get to potential clients or they could bring a skill set i want to talk about the skill set of being able to express yourself artistically mm-hmm. and having creativity mm. and i think it's it's such a wonderful thing like have you been able to incorporate creativity in what you do right now
2: absolutely no,
1: no, and it, it, is, it
2: is one of the, to me, it is one of the draw cards because essentially I'll, I will always be a musician in the sense that I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an artist. I'm, I still often catch myself thinking like a musician, if I can put it that way, you know. So, so for me, it's, it's, it's definitely the limited experience that I've had up to now with dealing with clients. As you know, every client has different requirements they have different personalities they have different risk tolerances and everything is different you can't there's no cookie cutter one size fits all and that that ties a lot for me that ties a lot in with 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 that creative side of of being able to to say right i've got these building blocks that i can use but i'm never it's very unlikely that you're ever going to use those building blocks in the same order as you did with the previous client. And that's nice. That's good. It feels good, you know. That feels good that you're not just standing on a production line fitting that one screw to to the PC board, you know. It's, um, it is a creative process. Definitely.
1: Here's the Lego blocks. Let's put it together. Yeah, for you, someone once said that the only question you need to ask in an interview is, did you... Did you play with Lego growing high I did. <laughs> <laughs> Your boss. No. It's no. Uh, this is something that I think a lot of people don't have the confidence saying, "Hey, I'm I'm a creative," mm-hmm. and it brings a, a mass or massive amount of value to mm-hmm. a world where it's not often celebrated to have that creative expression. Sure,
2: sure, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a difficult time for for creative people. I mean, just in my previous field um music is now so accessible you know um i remember when i was i was probably probably about 16 i spent an entire month's pocket money to buy one album you know because there was no youtube there was no you know apple music there would now you have essentially free music wherever if you want to listen to an album you don't actually have to go and buy it anymore you can just listen to it on youtube and um so it has unfortunately in my view it has undervalued what it is that positions do and i think i think a lot of i think a lot of artists feel the same we've become a very we've become a very technical world a very noughts and ones world and I think a lot of that subtlety that we can experience through the expression of art has been lost, unfortunately.
1: Joe, how do we make financial planning more accessible for musicians, for creatives, for people mm. that, you know, at the risk of you know not coming across Greg, like mm. previously didn't have access to mm. maybe independent advice or sure. maybe unbiased advice? Sure.
2: So, um, unfortunately, I think <laughs> a lot of musicians that I know are naturally suspicious because you're often dealing with <laughs> club owners and you know they say I'll pay you so much and then they only pay you so much or you know we don't we, we 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 didn't work with contracts it was it was all a handshake essentially you know so so unfortunately there's a little bit of suspicion around that I think. The way forward, and it's something that I have thought about a lot. Specifically, to 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 be able to put something together where you can help a musician to at least have some kind of um, something to fall back on when they can't work anymore. You know, even if it's something as basic as a tax-free savings account. You know, it doesn't even have to be an RA or yeah. You know, um, and I think I think the way forward is essentially what what you're doing right now is to get it out there on social media and my my hope for for for, for this podcast today is is that even if one other muso or artist listens to this and goes hey like you know this guy's is, this is resonating this is working you know that that would be a win for me um because i think i think our industry focuses often on 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 your more um Traditional types of employment, whether it be running your own business or being an employed person, you know, often I think the self uh, self-employed artist type people are kind of uh, just not really thought of in that sense.
1: So, just a little bit more guidance, a little bit more education, almost giving away things for free mm-hmm. in order to be able to help them to get to a better point. Yeah, you know, and it's so yes, and, and and awareness, you know, just awareness
2: of. Because ah, uh, I know it sounds like I'm trying to to punt wealth up, but honestly, I didn't know that a company like this existed when I when I first made contact with you, because I thought it was all about it was all commission driven. I thought the experience that I've I'd had at twenty one where a guy saw, who had been in the industry for many, many years at that stage, he was he was he was, yeah, um, he was well experienced and well versed within the industry sold a 21 year old uh musician who's who's sort of pouring his heart out to saying saying hey i just want to make sure that my wife's okay and selling him an endowment policy there's nowhere has a my tax you know so so i think i think it's just i think it's a process of of education and awareness and realizing that the industry has changed and that there are other companies um, like wealth up that put the clients needs first and and not not the not the commission.
1: <laughs> this, uh, yeah. What did your musician friends say when you said, "Hey, I'm leaving this and I'm going to become a broker"? <laughs> they didn't say anything because they're still
2: busy laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was actually I must say I, I actually had a lot of support um, from from my close friends. Um, there there was also, and there still is a little bit of sadness, I think. Um, I still get calls. I had one last week. Um, one of my old Bohemia fans is getting married and he wants me to play at the wedding. And can we coax you out of retirement and all this stuff? And I just said, sorry, I've burnt the ships. You know, it's, this is, uh, it's just not the way I do things. You know, it's like I focus on one thing and that's what I do. So, so yeah, I mean, obviously it's not a very common thing going from musician to financial planner. But yeah uh, what can you do eh?
1: <laughs> I think it's wonderful that you can share this story and your experience and hopefully for someone listening maybe make it a little bit more doable absolutely Definitely. this is something Joe did absolutely okay. yeah and 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 and
2: and people within the industry within the financial services industry are are in my in my experience very most of them are very approachable and very generous with their expertise and time I mean they don't suffer fools, but if you genuinely need help with something or, you you'd, you know, the book says this, but the practical application of that is that and you don't know how to bridge the two. My experience um, is just people are, are willing to help you and be generous, which is great, you know. <laughs>
1: what would you say to that Joe writing his first exam to motivate him a little bit given where you are now? like Sure.
2: Yeah, Louis, that was, that was a really, really difficult time for me because it's that confidence thing and it's, it was the anxiety of, can I do this? Who am I kidding? You know, this is crazy. Like, my wife doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> so what I'd say is um, just you know, just keep trucking, just keep pushing, just keep going. You know, and that's it.
1: And well done for doing that. I mean, we had a few conversations where it came to me saying, how do I enter this? And it yeah. felt like every time we had that conversation to say, okay, now go and do this, yeah. come back. And I thought to myself, well, if he's really serious, he'll go and do it. And he comes back and and it happened. It happened. <laughs> Not just one time, mm. it, you came back a second and a third time. Mm. But even during that time, it felt like you didn't really get answers for your questions around how do I find a house? Like, how do I do this long term? How do I move to a place where it's not just sales? Mm. So how do we make that a little bit easier? Given where we are now, like how do we make it easier for people to, to change careers mm. so that they don't feel excluded from an industry where I think we can learn so much from someone that might've done something else in the past? Like, what, what is there that, if there was one thing that you can change and it's not the way advisors are remunerated, <laughs> uh, what would you change? yeah sure um i'd have to think
2: about that um i would say knowledge regarding the ease of access uh into the industry if you're genuinely and i don't like to use the word but if you're genuinely passionate about it if you really if you really have an interest you're not just doing it because you know you need to earn an income or something like that if you if you are prepared to to work for free because you just you know that one day you're gonna get there kind of thing you know, um, so it's just it's 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 the knowledge of the uh, ease of access and the awareness of 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 having that ability to approach people within the industry um, freely and ask them questions like I did with you you know I mean I mean I just I eventually I just banged the door down, you guys had to give me a job. So <laughs> no, the <I'm joking>.
1: persistency. <laughs> yeah. I once saw at the bottom of uh, of a a client forwarded an email from someone else and at the bottom of this email it had a little slogan. And so this is from someone that have that sold insurance products. Right. And it said there's no man with endurance like a man that sells insurance.
2: That's <laughs> <laughs> <No>, true.
1: <laughs> and so we knew uh, when I was banging down this door, this is the, this is the right fit. <laughs> there's also a famous saying that hire for attitude and train for skill. Mm. And so if you can kind of give some guidance to someone maybe starting out, maybe new, maybe a career changer, mm. what attitude or what elements of your attitude has really helped you to persevere? I think again, it's in my
2: well. It it starts with a genuine interest in what it is you're trying to change. To you know, you can't you can't fool yourself, and you certainly can't fool anyone else if you don't mean it, because that comes across, you know. And that ties into the whole thing. High, you know, high for attitude. Um, I'd never heard that expression until you mentioned it, and I thought, wow, that's actually that actually sort of fits my my situation, you know. It's just about believing in what you're doing, and not being afraid to approach people to ask questions. Um, Because people in general, my experience is, people don't think you're stupid if you ask questions, but they do think that you're a chancer if you don't ask questions, but you don't get the work right, you know? So rather ask questions and don't be afraid to stand out and, and persevere.
1: It's worth commenting that as a financial planner and advisor, if your default is, I don't like answering questions, you can have a pretty tough time in front of clients. Exactly, yeah, that's true. And now if your default is, hey, I'm working with clients where I want to make it easy to answer questions, I'm not making my clients feel that they are someone lesser than me or that they are uh, not unintelligent for asking mm. these questions. Mm. To then apply, not apply that in another part of your life is, I would say, is near impossible. Mm-hmm. Mm, so I really sure. like what you're saying. If you find someone that's willing to give you a time and answer your questions, mm. that almost treat you the way they would treat your clients, mm. you know, lean in, <laughs> no, <laughs> spend true. a bit more time and do that. And there, there's mm. there's thousands of advisors and financial planners in South Africa that can help you with that. Mm. Um, and there's 72 episodes that you can listen to if you <laughs> have, uh, <laughs> want to find hints of who those people are. Joe. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to work with you and to change the way financial planning is delivered. And I'm so grateful that you took the plunge and that you joined me today. Thanks, Louis. Thanks
2: for having me on the podcast and thanks for having me on the team. It's been a life-changing experience and I hope we can do good things together.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, sir.